Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck Hockey History Podcast, where we talk about which players belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And today we have a uh, an episode where we the general theme is like dirtiness, I guess you could say. Yeah, or, so, or r- rough and tough play. If you're a fan of yeah. this player and you don't want to yeah. admit that he was a little bit dirty, yeah. Um, but yeah. They, they played the game with an edge for sure. Yeah. So our eligible player is uh, Dale Hunter, which will be interesting. Um, our our inducted player was inducted about I want to say nine, no, thirteen years ago. My apologies, thirteen years ago was Mark Messier. Yeah, we're, we've gone back that far in time, which seems crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and then um, lastly, our old timer, uh, thanks to the people on the uh, hockey history sub forum of Hockey's uh, Future is Cully Wilson. Um, we had lots to choose from, but we decided that he, he fit the bill. And he is not in the Hall of Fame, but um, well, we'll see whether or not we think he belongs. So we're starting off with Dale Hunter, a player who um, you might be like, you're talking about him? Yeah. And, <laughs> and the case, I mean, it was it was mostly just because we were trying to find someone to match with Messier, and, and Messier has a bit of a reputation. Um for and doing and, and I insisted upon it. Riley's yeah. probably fairly indifferent, but I insisted upon it. <laughs> I am fairly indifferent in part because um, there weren't any big Leafs Rangers series when I was growing up, and 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 Leafs Oilers series. Uh, if there, I mean, the Leafs were awful when the Oilers were good. So, and I wasn't even a hockey fan in the '80s. So, so I have no like my memories of Messier are you know media <laughs> memories yeah. like. A, uh, a chip's a chip yeah, uh, yeah, sort yeah. of thing, like yeah. more than they are of him as a player. Um, you know, or they're, and they're of him to an extent that I have them as a player of him as old, you know, and, and performing pretty well as an old guy, but still as old and not his former self. Yeah. Uh, so I was indifferent, but like we, we chose Dale Hunter uh, because of his reputation. And you might be saying like, of course, Dale Hunter doesn't belong. And I think, I mean, I think, Bill, you and I are probably going to be totally okay with that. However, <laughs> to try and make the case, when he retired, he was 12th all-time in games played, which is a lot. Yeah. He is no longer in the top 25, but uh, at his retirement in uh, 99, he was uh, 12th. And the other thing, the thing that certainly old-school fans might think is a reason uh, for him to belong, is that he is second all-time in penalties in minutes. Um, and that is basically it because we're talking about a guy who scored 300 goals 700 assists and a thousand points and he did it playing through 1980 to 1999 and sure his production slowed down in the 90s but he was also older and this is a guy who was playing in the like high flying 80s and his his best season ever was 79 points yeah and one of those one of those he did in 93 when everybody scored 79 points (laughs) so the case is not great um and that's putting it mildly but we're still going to go through our our things so first of all as usual we are going to talk about uh the draft and um this is the the rob ramage uh draft uh rob ramage uh mike felino um and hunter uh because the draft was not good uh it produced hold on i'm just trying to see how many 
sorry. <laughs> Actually, okay. my mistake. It, so it wasn't that it was, it was not good in the sense that it didn't, like it, it obviously, as we will, um, as we will talk about, it, it produced uh, Messier. Um, but uh, it didn't produce, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, it is a great draft. I, I couldn't fuse. I, for a second, I thought Messier and Hunter were different drafts and they are the same draft. So uh-huh. uh, actually, we, we might as well talk about it together. I, yeah, because the yeah. thing is, Messier, of course, played pro before he got drafted, right? He played in yes. the WHA for like 10, 11, 11 games, 10 games? No, 52. Like sorry. Um, half a season. So anyway, uh, the draft was actually really, really good. And I was thinking about a different draft, but um, it wasn't. It was one of those drafts where they really got like the as we've talked about many many times on this show, there are some drafts in the past in particular where they really got the top end talent wrong, you know, like the yeah. the Rob Ramage went number one, Perry Turnbull, a guy I don't even know, I, went I remember two. Perry Turnbull, and Mike Foligno went three. Yeah, and you have to get to four before you get to Mike Gartner. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, Messier is the uh, career leader or the draft leader in points uh, with just an absolute ton. Whereas Hunter is, um, he's fifth? What is it? Six. He's six. Right behind Messier, Bork, Gartner, Goulet, Anderson. Uh, the only guy who was drafted in the top five is Gartner. The only guys drafted in the top ten are Bork and Gartner. So people were, the scouts were way off with who the star players were. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hunter looks better when it's games played, but he's still, still, he's, this is such a good draft that Hunter is fourth in games played. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like, I'm, I'm flipping through the names from like the first and second round. And so many of those guys, even if they weren't big names, were like journeyman guys in the NH in the NHL that I remember having old hockey, you know, pro set hockey cards of, um, you know, like I distinctly remember a lot of these names. Like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. I remember him, you know? Yeah. Well, to give you an idea, if I scroll down, sorted by games played if i scroll down where messier who's number one is at the very top my screen is filled with guys who played at least 711 games so that's like i don't know that's 40 or 50 players i think let's call it 40 so that's a so despite my you know my misspeaking it is a it is one of the all-time drafts i think it's safe to say you know you got like 20 something guys who played a thousand games you have uh over it looks like seven players to score a thousand points Eight players score 900. Wow. You know. Um, yeah, it's very, very good. Point share wise, uh, it's Bork, Messier, Gartner, Goulet, McCrimmon, Anderson. Hunter's way, way down because, yeah. as we've talked about with point shares, the uh, the skew is towards goals over assists. And Hunter, of course, was more of a passer as an yeah. offensive player. Um, so, you know, the draft, he's he doesn't look good in his draft. But, I mean, he looks, you know, he's a top... By point shares, he's a top 15 player, uh, but, like, by points, he's top six. But, um, oh, yeah, we should also point out he's, of course, the leader in uh, penalty minutes by 400 over his brother. <laughs> yeah. 400. That's crazy. Um, but, like, you know, he looks bad in his draft in part because it was one of the best drafts in the history of the sport. And, of course, Messier is, you know, first and like, everything i think in that draft oh he's uh sorry he's second in point shares behind bork and he's fifth in plus minus but otherwise um so do you want to talk should we talk about his error first or do you want should we just discuss the pims for a second 
Um, yeah, let's 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 discuss the penalty minutes because it's 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 kind of his. If if you're going to make a case for him being in, I think it, you have to view that as a as a positive where he provided the sandpaper so that his yeah. teammates could thrive. And you know, he's he's a bit of like um, if you're to compare him to like a modern player in terms of like he plays right on that edge all the time. Uh, maybe like Tom Wilson or somebody like that, where it's like. Yeah. This guy really gets under people's skin. He hits guys, to, you know, as hard as he possibly can. He's trying to take him out of the game, and yeah. he's and he's not devoid of skill. Like he's not so yeah, he clearly he's a good enough hockey yeah. player to be out there, and then that makes him a terror because he can he can actually play. <laughs> yeah. Well, so and I've probably said this before um, on on uh, another maybe when we're talking about Shanahan or something like that. But like the thing that ever since I was like an adult or ever since I was a critical thinker, whichever came first, I don't know which. Um, I I got really annoyed by, you know, first of all, hockey is the only pro- major professional sport that tracks penalties as a positive thing. Yes. Um, now, obviously, that is changing. Uh, the And one of the things that's happened in the last, what, 15 years or so is people have started to pay attention to who draws penalties rather than who takes them, which yeah. you'd think was the thing to pay attention to in the first place. But, mm-hmm. but the thing well, that I think... Sorry, hockey is interesting that way, though, because some people will view something as a good penalty, like it brought up team morale or exactly. No, like you you went and defended a teammate. Now the whole bench is fired up like you could actually view a penalty as a good thing. And then there's the ones where the coach is like, you know, that guy's stapled to the bench for the rest of the game. That was an idiotic penalty. But (laughs) but here's you hook a guy behind. You know, like 200 feet away from your own net, you hook a defenseman for no reason and you just get take a penalty like that is so stupid. <laughs> you, you are hitting on exactly the problem with penalty penalties and minutes as a stat. And it's the same with assists, only maybe it's a little less obvious with assists. Yeah. As, as anyone who who's paid any attention to the analytic revo- revolution in hockey knows, primary assists are much more indicative of players like ability than secondary assists secondary assists are mostly luck if you look at secondary assists from year to year they they fluctuate like crazy like a guy will have like 15 one year and like 40 another year well maybe not 40 but you know what i mean like the the numbers there's no there's a ton of variance that seems completely random primary assists are you know you know the the sign of a someone who has a lot of primary assists is a good passer someone has a lot of secondary assists you need like five or ten years of data to really know anything about them yeah or he's just a guy who carries the puck a lot so he happens yeah. to have been the last one to to touch it yeah. before those two guys you know set up a yeah. beautiful play so and so so when you just have a total number of assists there that that's lost right you don't see that you just see it now if a player has enough of them you get it but it's the same thing and maybe it's not the best comparison the same thing penalties in minutes when you look at the fact that uh, Hunter is second all time in minutes, you, without watching Hunter's career, you don't know how much of those are quote unquote good penalties and how much of those are stupid penalties. And yeah. some of that is in the eye of the beholder for sure. Cause there's some people who are going to think like, you know, certain types of roughing types of penalties and checking penalties are good regardless. And some other people who might only like them in context, right? Like yeah. you cross check a guy who's, who's going to score a goal. Otherwise and you get a penalty for cross checking there's probably a lot of people who are okay with that. Yeah. Whereas there's some people who are probably just okay with cross-checking in general, just because you got to send a message or whatever the, the thing yep. is, right? That's but exactly. when you have the total, you have no idea. The only way you yep. know is from watching the player. Exactly. And, and presumably, in this day and age, people are paying attention to that to some degree. I don't know if they are, but penalty minutes are so down anyway that yeah. like 
because the fighting is so down, because that was a huge part of the, the why the totals were so high. Um, right, because you'd rack them up for, for uh, you know, f- fighting always got, you got more, you got more total minutes for fighting, right? Usually. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's it's the fact that there's no way of, like, separating them by type of call means that, like, if you didn't watch the guy, you you can't actually, I mean, some people will say, well, this guy, like you said, Bill, like this guy has some, you can tell this guy has a thousand points. He clearly has some talent. Um, but he also has these huge number of penalty minutes. So he was, you know, hard to play against and all this stuff. And maybe he made his team better because of that. But without knowing how many of those were stupid hooking things, you know what I mean? Or like, um, or penalties that happened in in his offensive zone, you know, when his team was trying to score and then he put his team on the penalty kill. You know, if yeah. you don't know that, it's really hard to evaluate, right? Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, too, you know, for like, I, I remember bits and pieces of his career. Um, I remember probably his, you know, sort of two most notorious incidents. Um, but basically, like he, you know, his whole career, and if you watch him coach now, it's just a, a, a guy who would like always looks perpetually pissed off and wants you to know yeah. that he's pissed off and he would just go out there and, and I mean, sometimes just act like, you know, basically like a maniac and just be, you know, he's, he was the, he was the, you know, from my recollection, I haven't watched the clip in preparation for this. Unfortunately, I've been too busy with teaching stuff, but to sit down and watch an entire 20, 30 minute clip of a, of a brawl, um, but, yeah. uh, the, 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 um, I believe it was the good Friday massacre, uh, that they called it in, in Montreal it was Montreal and Quebec had that massive brawl. And I think pretty much all of it was somebody trying to get at Dale Hunter, like because he had done something, like something horrific, and everybody wanted to kick his ass. So it was like, and that was the one where like they started the fight, then they got both teams off the ice, and they came back out of the dressing room to fight some more, and it was just yeah. oh my god, pandemonium. And uh, there was a player too got got slugged by a cheap shot, and I I don't believe it was Dale Hunter, it was somebody else, and he got slugged when the referee was trying to break it up, and he punched him right over the ref's shoulder and just decked him and I don't, I don't know if the guy ever even played again um that was like a, like a very notorious brawl and one of the last bench clearing brawls and then they started to put in those rules about you leave the bench it's automatically 10 games because they yeah. we can't have this anymore you guys are and a lot of those involved the canadians which is very surprising by the way yeah <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. history but I, I think at a certain point the habs well they, they were the guys who unseated the flyers back in the 70s yeah. so i think they sort of had like um a, a little bit of an ethos at one time, like, you know, we've got to play the Bruins and the Flyers and we're not going to, we're, we're not going to make it our MO, but we're also not backing down. Well, and they had like, they had Chris <laughs> Nyland, you know? Oh yeah, <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. By the way, there is an excellent really documentary about him. There is. Yeah. I have yeah. a, I have a copy of it here in the house, the last gladiators. He's got a radio yeah. show here in Montreal now. Okay. I listen to him all the time. Yeah. Very, very interesting. He's gotten a lot. One, he's gotten a lot better at, doing radio but okay. like he he still has all his connections from the league and stuff so he calls guys and just you know hey chelios want to you know chelly you want to be on the show tomorrow he's like yeah sure you're my old buddy and he just has like all these super interesting guys on to talk about hockey and stuff so it's a, it's a pretty cool. good show yeah. yeah and he's still got he's still got his wicked boston accent so that's entertaining too <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so like it's i don't know it, it's just it's hard to you know, I, I think if we were having this conversation, if we were older and we're having this conversation, 
I don't know, 20 years ago, it mm. would probably be a fairly different one. There yeah. would be this idea that, like, somebody who is second all-time in penalty minutes, maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame, you know? Yeah. But, like, I think now, you're unless you're talking to old guys, you're going to have a really hard time convincing anyone if that is the case, right? Like, yeah. Um, there's also the 12th in games played as a retirement, but of course he's not anymore. And that it's 12th. It's not like fourth, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I just think in his case, he, he was a much more useful uh, uh, player than those stats would indicate. And oh yeah. He often would turn the tide of games with his antics, his intimidation. Like nobody wants to play against that guy. He was, you know, yeah. notorious around the league. He's, he's, his other incident was the, the longest suspension, I think until, uh, McSorley or Bertuzzi, I can't remember which one broke the record, but it was Dale Hunter got suspended, I think, for like 20, 21 or 23 or 26 games for absolutely destroying Pierre Turgeon after he scored the overtime winner um, and like hit him completely unsuspected. Like he was celebrating and he just boarded the hell out of him. And then I think Turgeon I've seen that clip, yeah. That playoff run. So, I mean, and that was the year that, uh, that was the year they knocked off the Penguins and then ran out of gas and lost to the Habs. But if they'd had, uh, they had Turgeon, they might have gone a lot further. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. right? Pro- probably not. I don't think anybody was going to beat that Habs team, except for maybe those Penguins. It's it's worth pointing out that he, he was drafted 13 spots ahead of his brother, uh, but he he was just like a way like orders of magnitude better than his brother, right? Like in every yeah, well, way, like he almost has 10 times as many points as his brother. He got drafted ahead of Mark Hunter. I was going to say he beat him by a nose, but I, I think if you've ever seen Mark Hunter, that's clearly not the case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one thing I remember about, about him from uh, from when I was like when I was a kid, I had one of his hockey sticks that my dad had got uh, at the uh, at the airport. My dad used to work at the airport, and he got a hockey stick from Mark Hunter. And I remember using it, and I'm like, I'm going to look on my hockey card and see what this guy looks like. I'm like, holy schnoz. I'm like, man, that guy's tough. And you could just tell the poor guy's probably had his nose broken at least five times. But he was, he was a tough customer, man. Him and uh, Dale were both tough. So customers. so I'm sorry. I, I, I really i am just on fire today. Uh, I was talking <laughs> about Tim Hunter, who I thought was Mark Hunter. Oh, uh, was Dale Hunter's brother, but he's not. Oh, no, Mark Hunter's his brother, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, you're right. You're right. I, I, uh, I thought Tim and... Dale yeah, were brothers, but you're ah, right, okay. smart. Also, great schnoz too, though I think. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no. So I was comparing, I was comparing Dale with Tim, and Dale is much, much better than Tim. Yes. Uh, and and there's also Dave. So to my credit, it's you know there's another brother in there who also played in the NHL. So I don't, I <laughs> don't feel so bad. I don't feel so bad. Um. Anyway, he was better than Tim Hunter, and I presume he was. I think he was better than Mark Hunter too, right? Like. Yeah. Oh yeah, way just, better. Yeah, three times, three times as many points as Mark Hunter. So. Yeah, well, I think Mark was a defenseman, though. No, right wing. Oh, okay. There you go. What do I know, right? <laughs> there's too my, many hunters my, my in the eighties. Memory of being an eight-year-old kid is really bad. Yeah, yeah, there's too many hunters in the eighties. Really, is is this is the lesson here? <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the eighties, um, we looked at his era, and Dale is basically uh, if you limit uh, his era to. Uh, people who played at least 1,200 games, so 15 seasons. Uh, Dale is a top 10 offensive player, but of course that is, you know, 15 seasons is a hell of a lot in 19 years. And uh, so that's why he, he looks decent. He's still, if you actually think about it from the opposite, there's 13 players who qualify and, and Dale is regularly like third to fifth last of that group in terms of the 
offensive stats. And you can tell he was not a great, you know, compared to a lot of the guys we talked about, he, he only scored 60 points per 82 games, which is, it, it's good. It's very good. And in this, in some areas, it would be quite good. But it's also uh, worth noting that, you know, usually when we're talking about like guys going to the Hall of Fame, like, like, like what is Messier's? I'm going to look at Messier's. Messier's is 88, you know, and Dale Hunter's is 59. So there's a 30 point difference there, yeah. basically. And even like Dale Hunter's peak is scoring 70 point, 75 points a season. Yeah. In the middle of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, he, he, he was never a top line player, right? I mean, he no. might he might have gotten some time on the top line, but I, I believe he was a second or third liner pretty much his entire career. So he's well, providing uh, secondary scoring and toughness and harassment yeah. of the other team and all those all those good things. There's one exception to that, maybe, but because I don't know ice time, I can't say for sure. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the adjusted stuff it hurts him, of course. Um, he, it knocks him down. If you if you do. Uh, an 82 game average, he goes um, from 59 real numbers to 51 adjusted. So it's a fairly distinct, you know, fairly drastic di- difference. And we've started tracking the versus X, which is the hockey's uh, hockey history adjustment. And he, he, with that adjustment, he he doesn't even finish in the top 215 goal scored. So they don't even calculate his number, his goals, but he wow. basically knocks him down even further. So like, he scored 1,020 points. Hockey reference adjustment is 879, and the versus X adjustment is 823. So, you know, that's in uh, 1,400 games. So we're getting much closer to half a point a game than point a game when, with the adjustments. Uh, we like to talk about trades, of course. Um, yeah. And uh, and so uh, he was involved in two. The only one was... I mean, I don't even know if either of them can really be considered super consequential. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm an idiot. One of them can be considered super consequential, but I'm because I'm an idiot. I didn't include the most consequential part in the notes, Bill. So sorry about that. Oh, uh, <laughs> first trade, it it looks kind of innocuous because it's like, so Hunter was 27 and he was traded um, from Quebec, where he spent the first chunk of his career with Clint Malarchuk for uh, Gaetan. Duchesne, I guess is how you pronounce it, uh, and Alan Haworth. And that by itself looks fine, but there was also a first-round draft pick. And want to guess who who the first-round draft pick ended up being? Oh, Peter Forsberg. Uh, In some ways, it's worse. (laughs) Joe Sackick. It is Joe Sackick. Wow. (laughs) So what might look like like a win... If you don't add the draft pick, it might look like a win for uh, for Washington. It is 100% not a win for Washington. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. And I don't know how I didn't write that down. That is, like, that is brutal. And, I mean, you know, you always, you never know, right? Sackick was, what, was, like, 15th or something? He was significantly lower down than... Yep. Yeah, 15th. So, you never, with a, you know, a mid-first-round draft pick, you, you're pretty sure you're not going to give the other team a hall of famer but like you're still top 15 the there's there are decent odds that you're giving them a good player and and there is always that risk because there have been plenty of guys drafted 15th overall who turned out or whatever top 15 who turned out to be like stars or even hall of famers and anyway it's just a brutal you know once once uh 
once Colorado or sorry Quebec makes that pick, it's just a yeah. The trade goes from being like, well, uh, you know, I don't I don't know enough about the other guys, but it's safe to say like Washington got the best player until of course, yeah, Quebec picks Joe Sakic and then, you know, it's just a disaster. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, and then and then the other trade is 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 no big deal. Um, right at the end of Hunter's career, he was traded back to uh, the Nordique slash Avalanche to try and help them win a cup, and he was 38. And uh, you know, he played a lot um, in the playoffs. Well, not a lot, but he he, uh, he didn't play a lot on the ice. But he, like they went far, but they didn't they didn't win. So um, he has. Basically, it depending on your attitude towards penalty minutes, Hunter has basically no accomplishments. Uh, he was top 10 in penalty minutes five times. What's impressive about Dale Hunter is his longevity, right? Because he was only top 10 in penalty minutes five times, and yet he's second all time. Yes. So just consistently an asshole for like, <laughs> you know, he scored, he had 100 penalty minutes every every season he was in the league. Yeah, of course. Dale Hunter, man. He's going to, you know, he was going to go like whack somebody or, you know, give somebody a little shot here. Or somebody was going to want to fight him for something. He said like, these, these, these are the old days too, right? Where there were, nobody was mic'd up. And they didn't really like, yeah. what did that guy say? Like, so I don't know for sure. And like, I'm sure some people are listening to this who really followed his career. He'll be like, he didn't talk a lot of smack. He was just hard nosed. Be like, that's possibly the case. I just remember him starting some very big fights and people really not liking him. But he just didn't back down from anybody, right? Like, he just, yeah. that's the way he played. So he was going to accrue penalty minutes, like, you know, get into a fight, get tossed out of a game, give a guy an extra cross check, pick up an extra two minutes, you know, and every time you get tossed, it's a 10 minute. So, like, I mean, you're just, you're racking up the penalty minutes. So, yeah. you know, 100, 100 minutes is like, if you get into five fights, you're probably already pretty close. Because you, well, you get a five and a 10. Yeah. You know, like, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, um, he, the other thing is he was in, um, he was in, you know, like 200, 200 minutes, I don't know, 11 times or something like that. And, uh, 250 twice. So that adds up Absolutely. over, over a 19 year career. Um, so, uh, lastly, we have the great teams. And this is the one thing I wanted to point out when you were saying he was never a frontline player. I don't know that he was on the front line, but for the 1990 Capitals who went to the conference finals, he was top three in points on that team. Oh, nice. Which wow, is he's like a super useful guy. Like yeah, his great his great offensive accomplishment. He had uh, he had 12 points in 15 games, so the Capitals were not a high scoring machine. <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise, uh, he. Uh, you know, he um, he went to one uh, Stanley Cup final, which is in 98. But he was, of course, old at that point. Yeah. And, um, you know, he wasn't playing a lot. I forgot to mention uh, his ice time. We we only have one season of ice time, but it's like it's it just goes to show you you shouldn't pay attention when you just got old guys because his his average ice time for his career based on the last season is nine minutes and in the playoffs is six minutes, but of course it was just it's one season. In the case of the, uh, you know, it's like we're we're talking about like, well, he played eighty-two, uh, sorry, sixty-two games, so it's yeah. really not very much. But I mean, I mean, it's it's very clear to me he doesn't belong. Uh, yeah, we we, sh- we should we should also mention just because we're talking about sort of his 
his uh, his career and everything that he he became a fantastic uh, coach uh, and coaches the London Knights and yeah. for a very brief time came back and coached the Capitals to uh, to a series win I think that was the year they knocked the Bruins out in seven. Um, that sounds right to me. But. Yeah, the year that Joel Ward scored. So I, and they and like everybody was like they're underachieving. They're not that good. And then all of a sudden they started playing better like playoff style hockey. Everybody like yeah, it's Dale Hunter's there, man. He's not gonna let them off the hook with you know take you know taking the easy way out kind of thing because he's that kind yeah. of coach. But he, yeah. I think he's did. I did. Obviously, he has the ability to coach the NHL level. I think he has no desire to do it just because too much spotlight or. You know, maybe he doesn't trust himself to not start a fight like Tortorella did. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, 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 once again, for like the millionth time, I apologize for bringing up basketball. But to bring up basketball, there is a long history of a college coaches at the at bat, like college basketball coaches basically going to the NBA and and mostly failing. And yeah. there's a lot of like discussion about like why that happens and i think this could also apply i think to a great degree to uh to junior going to nhl and some of the theories include things like athletes professional athletes have a hell of a lot of power yeah junior and college players have nothing they have nothing um and that is something that i think a lot of coaches who coach amateur or or in the case of both college and junior, pseudo amateur, you know, where they're playing full time, but they're not getting paid. So they're technically amateur. But anyway, um, they just don't. They suddenly have people who were like, even if they don't necessarily resist immediately, like like they can resist in a pa- more passive way just by throwing their weight around the organization. I make X million dollars. I'm the franchise player. They might go behind the coach's back to the GM, right? Or ownership yeah. and be like, this guy's a dick. Yeah. I don't exactly. like him, you know? Yeah. And there's, all, and there's all sorts. And then there's also the age thing, right? Is that you're dealing with adults and you're not dealing with kid, uh, teenagers anymore. And, yeah. and maybe these adults, they, who knows? There's could be all sorts of reasons, but I think there's a long history in more than in ju- in multiple sports of players who or coaches who coach teenage amateurs trying to coach adults and it rarely works. Yeah, well, that's why it was. I think a lot of people were surprised when Hunter came in. They're like, "Oh, Washington's really grasping at straws here," and he actually they did amazing in the playoff run. And they they totally wanted to hire him back. Like he would have been the head coach okay. of the Capitals, and then he's just like, "No, I have no interest." No. Um, well, I, I think and that, I believe and that could probably go to both ways, right? Yeah, like I believe want, that's because they own. Uh, I I think they own the London Knights. I'm just fact. Oh, they do. That. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just ma- just making sure before I said it. Um. Yeah. So I, I think that was more his thing. He's like, I need to, you know, this is more like my investment, or this is sort of my baby is, you know, keeping the London Knights being one of the premier junior teams in the country, and if I coach them, they will be. So I'm not going to coach the NHL. I'm going to go back to London and do my thing. So um, I think that had a lot more to do with it than him. Maybe him having an issue with coaching pro players. I, I I think in his case anyway. But you're absolutely right about like a junior coach coming to the big leagues and succeeding. Yeah, it usually doesn't go really well. Uh, at least not at first. I mean, they all come yeah. from there, right? So I mean, yeah, yeah, they do. They coach junior to make their way up. But some of them, you know, uh, 
work their way up, become an assistant coach, learn from that, and then become the head coach. And some of them get pushed straight from like, oh, I was coaching junior. Uh, we're going to let you coach the AHL team for one year. And then if you do that well, you're the NHL head coach. And it's like, that's a pretty fast progression. So maybe that's why it doesn't always work. But I was also, I guess what I was, I was trying to say is that there's, it could also go the other direction, which is that the coach gets there and there's something about the job that has changed that yeah. they don't like. In addition yeah. to having players maybe resist them, there's also something, you know, it's like, it's probably a very different thing to take a 16 or a 17 or 18 year old player and, and help them live up to their potential. And yeah. it's another thing to try to do that with an adult, yeah. you know? The adult is more fully formed in every, in in many ways, uh, you know, maturity wise. You know, yeah. So your your coaching doesn't always help them, right? I mean, yeah. Other than doing some X's and O's and motivating them, most yeah. of those players, uh, you know, pretty much are who they're gonna be. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Or, or or at least they're trending in that direction, and I guess you know, sort of like a really good uh, defense coach can like make the players stop making a mistake that they always make, or just sort of always be there reminding them, you know, like keep your gap control this way or make sure you're watching that guy in front when he does this. Like it's little things where I think at the junior level, you're trying to coach them on so many things and like mm -hmm. the style of the, of the way you need them to play and where they need to be at this time and to not, you know, not pinch when the score is this and all these things that like you need to get them to be the pro, you need to sort of start teaching them to, figure those things out either maybe not on their own, but like you need to think about this and you're clearly not right now. So like you yeah. have all the skill, how can we get you to like, you know, sort of maximize it and getting them to work harder and take care of themselves nutrition wise and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's, it's gotta be really rewarding. I think to be a good junior coach and see how many of your guys make it to the big leagues and are like, I mean, the, the, the London Knights are pretty much a pro pro hockey factory, right? Like yeah. so many other guys become NHL players. So yeah. he's definitely doing something right there, whatever it is. Absolutely. 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 So uh, to move on from a guy who doesn't have a case to be in the Hall of Fame to a guy who has one of the greatest cases uh, ever. Yeah. Even, um, as much, even as much as I dislike him, he's a yeah. first ballot slam dunk. Nobody would ever say no Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is, as we're talking about Mark Messier, and he played 20, 25 years, my apologies, uh, 23 of which were good, between 1979 and 2004. Um, his ice time for the last six seasons was still almost uh, 19 and a half minutes a game, which goes to show you that even, you know, uh, like even at the end there, when he was in his 40s, he was being relied upon a fair amount. Um, like his last season is the only season in his career he played under 17 minutes a game, and he's 43. Anyway, that that is incredible. Uh, yeah. he scored almost 700 goals, which was seventh all time in his retirement. Now ninth, he's third all time in assists. He's third all time in points, and only third because Yager passed him. He was second for a while, and he's also second all time in games played. You know, has had. The longevity, in addition to scoring a lot, the longevity is just remarkable. You know, only exceeded by a few players, right? Uh, yeah. By how and Yager. In terms of forwards, just by how and Yager. Um, I'm pretty sure that's it. I mean, I know Ron Francis played a long time, but I'm not sure he played. I don't think he played 25 years. I don't think um, that's why, it was up there. It was somewhere close to that, I think. That yeah, no, it was, in the, it was in the 20s. It was in the 20s for sure. I'm just not sure it was 25, which is... And this is this that doesn't include his uh, 
his uh his his WHA year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so, you know, he uh he was really really good obviously. Uh 7th all-time in offensive point shares at his retirement. He's now 11th. Um 24th all-time in assists per game at his retirement. He's no longer in the top 25. So, you know, Messier's per game stats are not the greatest in part just cuz he played forever and had he retired, you know, at 38 or or whatever instead of 43, presumably his his per game stats would be significantly higher cuz his um it's good glance you know, the last few years he was at 0.5 per game, right? And he'd never been at that his career, aside from his, sorry, aside from his very first season in the NHL uh, when he was only 19. Um, you know, he, he was a, uh, a point per game player until he was 36. Man. So, uh, well, there's uh, there's two exceptions to that, and that's his 19 and 20-year-old seasons. From age 21 to 36, he was a point per game player. So that's pretty good. Even and that you know that includes uh, a good chunk of the uh, well uh, uh, the first year or two of the dead puck era anyway. Um, we talked about him in his draft. He's the best player in his draft, uh, obviously. Well, best forward. Uh, I guess you could get into an argument between him and Bork, depending on where you um, sit on that. But he is first in most of the categories in his draft. He is not first in goals because of Mike Gartner, and he's not first in. Uh, points point shares rather because of Bork but otherwise he's also first in his draft he's first in games by over a season wow which is funny and that's ahead of Bork who played 1600 games that's incredible yeah yeah um era wise uh we limited it to 19 seasons six players played 19 seasons between 79 and 2004 and uh Messier is basically first in almost everything except for assists and this is per game and plus minus. Um, yeah. You know, he was, even if you, uh, you just shifted for era, anybody who played a long time, he was still basically the best player to play that long, yeah. um, at least offensively. Yeah, because he's fourth in point shares, but I'm pretty sure it's because the other three guys were defensemen. Uh, Bork and uh, uh, I'm guessing like Housley or somebody like that. And anyway. Yeah. Yeah. His, as we mentioned with Dale Hunter, his uh, 82 game average is 88 points uh, and plus 10. And so this is a guy who played 25 years and still managed to, despite playing the last, you know, what did I say, three or four years at a half a half a point per game rate. Yeah, he still managed to be over a point per game player for his entire career. Now some of that's the 80s, but still, it's still very yeah. impressive yeah. to me. It really is. Yeah. His peak. 87 and 90, 117 points per 82 games. Or, sorry, per 80 games, sorry, because they only played 80 at the time. Um, that is very, very good. 77 assists per 80-game season in the late 80s is is good. Yes, it is very good. <laughs> um, it's also worth noting that he is one of the all-time playoff performers. Uh, he is second in goals behind Gretzky and assists behind Gretzky and points behind Gretzky. He's just always, you know... Yeah. Gretzky and those things because they were on this of course they were on the same team. He is somehow only 14th in playoff plus minus, which is terrible. Fourth in games too behind uh I believe I don't have it in front of me, but I believe Gretzky, I want to say Lidstrom, um maybe maybe coffee. Um but Chelios is probably up Chelios oh, is probably yeah. up there too. So it's yeah, probably but, uh, but Chelios played for a lot of years in Chicago where they didn't make the playoffs. Too, so. That's true. But, but then he switched to Detroit, so he, he's, I'm sure he's up there. 
Well, I can I can pull that up if we need to look at it. Um, it's uh, but yeah, it's like it's it's definitely Gretzky, and I'm pretty sure it's Lindstrom. Um, but let me just find that out. Games played, career. Chelios, Lidstrom, and Patrick Waugh, actually, not Gretzky. There you go. Which is weird. Gretzky is way down. Gretzky is 16th. Is that is that just because, like, the Kings were really good when he first got there and then not good ever? That would be my guess. Yeah. But, but the thing is with Gretzky, too, like, he... Like, he was with the Oilers when they were going to the playoffs and, like, on long playoff runs, if not winning the Cup every single year. But any year that the Oilers didn't win the Cup, they got knocked out in round two by the Flames. Yeah, yeah. And when he was in Los Angeles, they got eliminated in round one or two almost all the time, right? So he only played one round most years. But but this could, this could result in really cool, really fun trivia questions, and maybe people have done this. Because you could do things like, who's played more playoff games? So the moment you say these players' names, you're going to know it's a trick question. Who's yeah. played more playoff games? Chris Draper or Wayne Gretzky? Or who's, who's played more playoff games? Uh, Mike Keene or <laughs> Wayne Gretzky? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to be like, I'm being tricked. I'm going to guess Mike Keene. I think I'm going to yeah. guess Mike Keene. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so still, like, fourth all-time in playoff games is impressive. And, of course, second in, in every, you know, offensive categories means he was doing better than that. So he is fifth all-time in assists per game and fourth all-time in points per game in the playoffs. Um, and he was 25th all-time in goals per game at his retirement, but he's bumped out of the top 25, probably because of, uh, you know, Ovechkin or Crosby or somebody like that. Yeah, uh, you would assume. And a few other, you know, like... Uh, other uh, stamp codes, you know, guys like that, probably. Um, as you might imagine, the adjustment uh, hurts. Uh, adjusting for error hurts uh, Messier, but not that badly. Um, it knocks him down to 1,700 points, but he's still fourth all-time. And he's 16th all-time in goals, which is down from ninth uh, without an adjustment. And he's sixth all-time in assists, which is down from third. So assists and points-wise... He's still in the top five. Well, top six, sorry. Um, but goals, he's really hurt on the adjustment. But his adjusted 82-game average is still 81 points, so almost a point per game. So still excellent. Uh, his per-game adjusted stats are not great. You have to raise the qualifier to 1,200 games to get him in the top 25, and then he's 16th all-time in assists per game and 17th all-time in points per game. And obviously not in the top in goals per game because he was more of a passer. Um, the versus X adjustment puts him 21st all-time in goals, 8th all-time assists, and 4th all-time in points. So actually, for once, hockey's ref- hockey reference adjustment and uh, the uh, the versus X actually put him both 4th all-time in points, which is interesting because usually they don't agree. Yeah. Um, again, he's not he's not really in the very very top in terms of points per game with the adjustment, but that makes sense because he played forever. Yeah. So, uh, as with uh, Hunter, we have only two trades. And as with Hunter, we have one trade of consequence and one trade that is not of consequence. So, the first trade, the trade of consequence, is that in 1991, uh, when he was 30, he was traded to the Rangers for 
uh, with uh, future considerations who became Jeff Bookaboom and David Shaw. I don't know who David Shaw is. Do you? No, but you know, you know who Jeff Bookaboom is. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, for Bernie Nichols, uh, Stephen Rice, and Louis DeRusk. So you could say that was a win for the Rangers. Yes. I mean, even without the hindsight of... No, Bukovum um, ended up being a really important player for them in 94. And uh, uh, he ended up getting hurt in the first period of Game 7. And then, like, the Rangers are basically down to, like, three really good defensemen. Um, Zubov, Leach, and I don't know who else was playing for it. Maybe Lowe. Um, and uh, they were, like, all of a sudden, they were like, uh-oh, we had four, like, really good ones. Now we've only got three. And, like, there's still a lot of this game left. And uh, there's there's a few Rangers defensemen who are on record as saying if we didn't get that extra day of rest between games, that there was like an extra day. So instead of playing on the Monday night, they ended up playing on the Tuesday night. And they're on record as saying if we didn't get that extra day of rest, once Book of them went down, we would have been in huge trouble. Like we probably wouldn't have won the game. We were yeah. exhausted. And it's like, ooh, like that's interesting, especially coming yeah. from those kind of guys. You know, like they usually wouldn't say something like that. It was like, yeah, that's how important that guy was to that team. The minute he went down, they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> this might get a little more dicey than we were expecting. Um, but yeah. even, even without the, the hindsight knowledge of them winning the cup in 94, I think you oh, look at that and you're like, yeah. Messier and Bernie are the same age. Yeah. Like who would you rather have on your team? Yeah. You well, know, I mean, like, well, like the, the thing was with the Oilers too, like, um, you know, they, they, they won the cup in 90 and then I guess, 91 they just weren't having that great of a season and maybe uh maybe maybe peter pockrington needed the money again yeah or maybe i, I they I didn't have a bad year in 91 i think they went to the conference yeah. final oh wow okay so i mean the oilers did really stupid things yeah it's, they did but i mean like it's trading messier like i mean louis debrusque is a good player but like mark messier you know like so there had to be something else to that deal there, there was no cash or anything included in it was there uh, I don't believe there was cash. Hold on, let me double check. Because that did used to happen. No, there is not. There was no cash, as far as I know. Yeah. Maybe maybe Messier just wanted out. Yeah. So they lost the conference final in '91. Well, it's possible. The other thing is, I think we may have talked about this before, but of course, the the uh, the Last Dance, the Jordan documentary, the first documentary about him to really have his permission in a very long time, um, was on recently during this pandemic and it was basically the only thing that a lot of people were watching which is quite funny but there do I seem to be some yet. no spoilers <laughs> well just the the only thing is the parallel yeah yeah you, you don't know what's going to happen to you uh <laughs> the uh the parallel appears to be that there were conscious decisions both by the oilers and by the bulls to like wreck their dynasties for money you know to essentially be like we want to make more money so we're gonna destroy this. Uh, slow in the case in case of the the Oilers, slowly, much more slowly than the Bulls, which happened literally like overnight. <laughs> but like, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over a year. But like, they could have stopped it at any time. And and the Oilers, you know, obviously they they did they did it over a much longer period of time. And they, no one expected the '90 Oilers to win, is my memory. But like, it was the same yeah. considerations. It was ownership. And in the case of the Bulls, it was management and ownership. But in the case of the others, if I'm not mistaken, it was ownership that was just like, we don't want to spend this money anymore. And and it is 
So, I mean, that obviously factors into a trade like this and, and why it's a little bit lopsided, but it's also like, it's just interesting that these teams that have won, you know, maybe you get like used to success to a certain point and you become convinced that you can do the same things with less money, which is maybe true, but like the Oilers and the Bulls sort of stand as like these pretty good examples that you shouldn't purposely destroy your success just to save some dollars because you're not going to be successful once you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Look at what's happened to the Bulls and the Oilers made it back as a fluke in 2006 but aside from that the Oilers have been a shit show since the Messier trade you know they made they had some fun playoff series in the late 90s against Dallas and they had their one run in in uh 2006 but beyond that it was was really interesting I was talking to my brother the other day about like the best game sevens we've ever seen and I was like yeah I'm pretty sure that uh that that Dallas Edmonton one and then I went back and I watched the highlights of that game and I was like yep that was a really good series and that was when they had uh, Ryan Smith and Doug Wade. Yeah, I think, those, I think those were great series. Yeah, they're incredible. But, but they, like, they, they lost most of them. <laughs> you know, they won yeah, one they of them. they won the thing. first one, and then they lost yeah. every time. Yeah, Because um, yeah. Dallas was like, we're not letting this happen again. But that first one was something else. Yeah. Um, but I just mean, like, you shouldn't, like, decide. The decision, yeah. I mean, I understand it's not it's not my money. It's very easy for me to say. But the decision to, like, throw your championships away because you want to save some money it usually doesn't end well for the franchise, you know. You know, it like the the track record is not good is what I, is all I'm saying. It's like for these these multi these dynasties that win year after year but then decide they they can't afford it anymore. Like you don't you don't go back to winning on a on a budget later. That's not yeah. generally what happens. Anyway, yeah. sorry for the detour. I just I the parallels are a little too strong to like not mention. Um Oh, also, uh, Messier had a WHA career. It was very brief. He scored 11 points and was minus 10 in 52 games. Uh, so you should enjoy that, Bill. <laughs> if, yeah. if you just look at his WHA career, he was awful. Yeah. <laughs> he, was all, he was also 18. Yeah. <laughs> um, unlike Dale Hunter, he has an absolute ton of accomplishments. We'll just sort of skim through them. Uh we would like to take this opportunity to mention that we have discussed both his heart trophies and generally agreed that he didn't deserve either of them, but that, well, I think you and I were, were just, we disagreed a little bit on which one he didn't deserve more. Yeah. But basically like as much as Messier was a very good player, one of the, you know, and very deserving of being in the hall of fame, his heart trophies are, are super sketchy. And very much feel like at least the 92 one, well, they both feel narrative driven, right? The 91 driven, like he's doing it without Gretzky and the 92 one, he's doing it in Manhattan. And, and, uh, you know, there are players in both 90 and 92 who had significantly better cases. Um, but if you are interested in us discussing that, you should, uh, listen to our, um, our heart episode on the, uh, between 1980 and 1994. Um, and uh, also, it's not just the writer's fault, though. The the players also agreed with the narrative and gave him the, uh, what is now the Ted Lindsay. Was still the Pearson at the time, I believe. And to yeah. give you an idea, Hockey Point Shares has him as a top 10 player only once in his career, and that's in 90. Um, and offensive point shares, he never was the best offensive player in the league. He was only top five once in 90, and he was top 10 six times. So 
point shares are flawed. You know, we talked we've talked about many times how they're flawed, but they are an attempt at like guessing at value. And at least by those metrics, you know, he was never he was a, he was a star, but he wasn't the star, you know. And he was only a star six times. Now, he was good for a very long time and he was like, you know, it's it, he's an interesting case because as much as he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame, he also was never the best player in the world. I mean, there are people who would argue otherwise, right? There are people who say his combination of scoring and his like his dirtiness, his edge made him the best player in the world. And maybe, you know, you want to show me some games, you know, <laughs> you know, you can tweet at us or whatever. Tell us what games we should watch where we we see like his his dirtiness combined with his offense really, really swaying things. I'm sure people are going to bring up the hat trick game. Um yeah, he didn't. But, he didn't do anything dirty in that game, though. Yeah, <laughs> he just he just went out and scored goals. Yeah. Um, you know, he he like that's the thing. He's a fantastic hockey player, and to me, a little bit of it's like, why why did he need to be extra dirty? Like it didn't. But he was just one of those fierce, fierce competitors. Yeah. Yeah. He just happened to do some dirty stuff against my team, and he also like obliterated Mike Madano. And as far as I as far as I'm aware, invented the blindside hit. Um, yeah. There's like that really famous clip. I think I've told you about it. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. And then you know they're they're carrying Madano out to the stretcher, and it's on yeah, you told me about the bowels yeah. of MSG, and they drop him, the poor guy. Yeah. But like, yeah, to, to well, me, but, it was like he 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 played he played with an edge, and he definitely crossed over sometime. But I think a lot of people, when they look at his career, don't remember that part. Yeah, like they don't remember that he did some things where you're like, you would have been suspended for a very long time. Well, doing that. in and addition to that, should have even then, but got away with it because he was Mark Messi, right? So, in um, addition to that, had he been born. I gotta see when he was born. Uh, let's say if he had been born 30 years later, in particular, but maybe even 25 years later, some of the shit he did to his teammates uh, would have caused a lot of problems in this day and age. Um, you know, I don't, Absolutely. I don't, I've only heard rumors, uh, forum posts specifically about stuff that he did, which we would now consider bullying. Um, but you know. In addition to being dirty on the ice, I have heard some stories about him doing things to teammates he didn't think were competitive enough. Um, Kent Nilsson being one of them, um, where you're just like, wow, if that broke now, if a player did that now, (laughs) the reaction would be very different. Well, in... in, uh, in, in when he when he came to Vancouver, I mean he's reviled in Vancouver. I remember seeing the, a Rogers ad where they had Mark Messier and it was like oh yeah yeah the yeah. center ice package and I'm like you put Messier on it and you have the guys in Vancouver uniforms in the background like how much do you not know about how that city feels about Mark Messier? Yeah. Um, he uh, but when when he arrived in Vancouver, um, uh, you know they were like oh you know we got the greatest captain in NHL history blah 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 so Trevor Linden gave up the captaincy. But basically, between Keenan and and uh, and Messier, they they sort of orchestrated Lyndon's ouster because he was another leadership voice in a room where Messier was supposed to, you know, yeah. be a leader kind of thing. And so we had, you know, the coach and the player that beat us, which really pissed me off and maybe not be a Vancouver fan for several years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, any. You know, he also took uh, took number eleven, which had been retired retired for Wayne Mackey because he died of brain cancer. And no, I don't I don't know how hard Messier pushed for that, or if Vancouver just said, "Hey, he's number eleven. We're not taking that away from him. We're just going to offer it to him." But no one consulted. And this is you know could just be 
And, you know, as a Vancouver fan, I'm not such a blind, loyal Vancouver fan that I don't think our idiot management had something to do with this. But uh, they, you know, they very disrespectfully did not even ask his family if they could unretire the number uh, and just sort of gave it to him. So it's like, ah, it was like the only retired number and you did it because the guy died. And then you just gave his number away without asking or anything like it was just it. All of it was wrong. And I I can't say I'm, I'm trying to be really fair here because. I feel like I don't want to just completely sound like a maniac and shit all over Mark Messier. He, he might he might not have even asked for the number, and they were like, "We're giving yeah. it to him no matter what." And that's a hundred percent a believable thing that Canucks management would do. Uh, I don't think anybody yeah. would argue how dumb they are. Um, but uh, but like just the whole thing when he got there, and Lyndon was so beloved, and they just basically chased him out of town, and yeah. we you know they never won anything. We had you know. Messier and McGillney and Burry and we were useless and just, oh, the whole thing was just, and just the fact that they went out and signed him, like the day they signed him, I was like, screw this. I'm not watching this team anymore. And like yeah. they had Burry and McGillney, like my brother and I had Burry and McGillney jerseys for when we played hockey. It's like, we were so into the Canucks. I'm like, you jerks. And then when he yeah. finally left two years later, I was like, oh, thank God. I can go back to watching my team again. <laughs> so, yeah. um, very, very upsetting for me as a Canucks fan who still hasn't gotten over 94. Um, and he and he had the worst. He he had a. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's chemistry. Maybe it was age. But he had like the for the worst. Uh, his three seasons in Vancouver were the worst of his career oh, since he was yeah. uh since he was twenty. Um, obviously he went back to New York and he he did even worse because he was forty at that point. But like, um, you know, in addition to bringing in somebody who maybe like rub people the wrong way and stuff. He also was old. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it's an interesting thing to do to turn your team over to a guy who is, uh, how old is he? 37 yeah. or about uh, to be 37 and, and, or whatever. You, know, you turn the team over to the guy who went out of his way to break Trevor Linden's nose at the end of game six. Like everybody in Vancouver already hated him. Like yeah. with a passion that you brought him in. Like there, there have to be a lot of other Canucks fans, in Vancouver, who just like me, the minute Messier was signed, were like, screw this. And then, yeah. Maybe they came back after. Some of them might not have, right? They might have ended up switching yeah, to, yeah. you know, doing something else. But, uh, yeah, it was it was not a good time to be a Canucks fan, that's for yeah. sure. And it, I think it was more the way that they chased Linden out of town and, like, really disrespected him and stuff. And it was like that yeah. really rubbed a lot of people. Well, the number, stuff. too. The number thing now wouldn't it? You know, now if that happened, it would be reversed. There would be so much outrage that they would be like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. You know? But, because but, because but, of but social again, media. Like I said, and honestly, I'm just trying to be fair. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure. Like a lot of people, uh, you know, some of my friends and Wayne Mackey was indigenous as well. So um, a lot of my friends yeah. who, who are indigenous Canadians were extra outraged. Like you yeah. wouldn't have done that to somebody who wasn't indigenous. Like, oh, boy, we're yeah. <laughs> we're into. But he's it's one of the things people in Vancouver would point to. But as we know, with things like this, how factual is it? We don't know. You know, yeah. like we don't really know. But, you know, there were instances of them like basically you know, Keenan and Messier, like, making fun of Linden and trying to, like, make him basically want to get traded um, and just sort of, like, ignoring any sort of leadership role he had with the team. And, I mean, you, you can't have a team that already has a great captain and then he steps down and you bring in a new guy and a, yeah. a, a guy that some people on the team still probably dislike from a few years. Like, it was only three or four years later. Like, they still remember <laughs> all that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were there. So, I mean, it, it outraged me as a fan, and I can't imagine how some of the guys in the locker must have felt, but that's why, probably a huge reason why it blew up in their face. Um, yeah. You know, and it was a, just a really stupid move, right? You don't you don't bring in the guy who beat your team. Um, yeah. No, you don't. To, you don't. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's now we're going to get into the whole reason why I don't like LeBron, like like LeBron, and we're going to go off this huge tangent about why I don't like certain players. And just I, I, I'm trying to be as fair as I can to Messier. Uh, he was he was a jerk on the ice, and it sounds like he also was a bit of a locker room sort of tyrant. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I mean, he won. So like, just like when you look at Jordan, you're like, hey, the guy's a winner. You. You either get on board and follow him and you win, or you get the hell out of the way kind of thing. You know? And so that, I mean, that's an interesting point, because, of course, there are lots of people who win not being assholes. But, yeah, you know, what it is, is it's 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 the historian's fallacy. And I'm sorry for this, but it is. <laughs> uh, and, and basically what it is, is that you see success and then you decide that the success could only have happened through that behavior. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not true because you actually, if you look, you, you can find counterexamples and it might, it, listen, we don't know. We will never know if Messier would have been a lesser player had he not been dirty. We don't know that, yeah. but there are lots of players who have had as much success as Messier. Well, not lots, but a few. And there's a few players who have had more success than Messier who were not like that. So you can't just decide that because he was dirty, that's why he was successful, right? Like it doesn't work that way. Um, just just an interesting point, I think, to focus on, too, is that, like, despite having two MVPs, he was never an elite offensive player, like I said. And one of the things we can tell is, like, I go as part of this, I, like, sort of record the number of times they a player achieved a particular offensive achievement. And his peaks are things that lots of people did. The yeah. thing that sets him apart from other people is the frequency with which he did, like, more average things. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's one of only 10 players to score 35 goals, uh, for example. Or he's one of only uh, 12 players to have 70 assists. Um, sorry, four times. And 35 goals 10 times, if I didn't say that. Um, and he's one of, like, only five players to have 50 points 20 times. Uh, yeah. Ron Francis, Gordie Howe, Ray Bork, and Yager. Um, so it's like, oh, yeah, what one one exception to that is he is one of uh, only four players to have 80 points 13 times, and that's Gretzky, Dion, Howard Chuck. Um there's a theme there. They're all playing a roughly the same era, but uh, like his, his big, his big claim to fame aside from, you know, like you said, Bill being the greatest claim uh, captain in NHL history, supposedly is that he was very good for a very long time. He was never the best, but he was like, he was like way above average for a, a preposterous period. Like, yeah. you know, the only other players, you know, like I said, 50 points, there's like, there's only a few people to do that. And, you know, one of them is like considered by some people to be the best player in history. And the others are just guys who were able to play for a very, very long time at partially in a high scoring era. But like, you know, that's the thing that I think, I don't know to the extent that people always remember. It's like, yeah, they remember he got played in these 43, but he was, it's re what's really impressive to me about him is that he was, like I said, he was a point per game player until he was 36 yeah, and well over a point per game most of that time. And he was, but he was never like the, the weird thing with these heart trophies is it gives the impression that he was like this dominant offensive player. And it's just not true, yeah. you know? Um, the remarkably consistent, uh, very strong offensive player. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he, he really, like, he never sort of wavered in the fact that he was always going to put up his points. He was going to be a point-of-game player. He was going to, you know, I mean, I'm, right, I'm not counting the years where he was super old and just wanted yeah. to stay in the game because he was competitive and, you know, Gretzky 
had come to New York and they played together and again and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, um, but you know, for, for the, let's say for the, for the peak 20 years of his career is over a point a game player and just remarkably consistent. And then when that translates over to the playoffs and he's like, he doesn't, he never shies away in a big moment. He actually seems to play better. That's where like sort of he gets, he gains that legendary status of people always remembering a a lot of people to this day think that he scored the, the the hat trick against Vancouver in that final because they don't remember he did it against the devils. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, even I actually, I thought that for a long time until I watched something about it (laughs) and I was like, Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) Well, and to your point, Bill, like 295 points in 236 games in the playoffs is, is like, well well above his career points per game average uh i don't i'm not doing the math off the top of my head but like it is well above it and it is still not the best in history there are players who did better but he's like i said what was it top five i said i think yeah um top four he's fourth and and that's where some people would get into the argument of like well see he was built for playoff hockey so yeah never back down if he needed to cross check somebody to get enough room to be able to get the puck to Gretzky or do whatever he needed to do, he did it, right? Like, and yeah. so a lot of people would praise him in that way of, like, he did what needed to be done. Then again, he also did some things that didn't need to be done, like elbowing, you know, Madano in the head and giving him a concussion and yeah. breaking yeah. Trevor Lynn's nose at the end of game six when, like, the game was clearly over and all he was doing was trying to hurt him for game seven. <laughs> well, and, and you can debunk, if you want to, you can debunk the, like, playoff warrior thing fairly clearly by saying well like he actually and we'll get to this right now when we cover his great teams but like he actually was only the best player on a playoff team once and not the year he won the con Smythe, i should point out but we'll get to that in a second and like you know he once got outscored by a defenseman and wow it's, and like, are you talking about Brian Leach? Because I am talking about Brian Leach. Yeah, well, that's but, Brian Leach also outscored everybody else. The no, no, I know. But my point, my point being that like yeah. you can look at that 295 points in 236 games, and you can say like, you know, like playoff warrior, one of the best playoff performers of all time. Yeah, but like most of that scoring came with Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. And Yari Curry. Yeah. And as much as I may have, you know, like that team scored at a pace that was, has been unrivaled by anybody ever. And, and so, you know, if he had led that team in playoff scoring more than once, and by the way, he only did it, he only led in scoring once Gretzky left, then the art, the idea that he's one of the best playoff performers of all time would have more weight to it. And he still is. He's just like, not the best, you know, and we should temper that because we have both data. and, And like you said, Bill, there are going to be people who said, well, like, Gretzky needed somebody like him to do the dirty work. And, you know, that is a counterfactual that I cannot disprove, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, well, I like, mean, yeah, you, you know how much I, you know, dislike Messier for, for 94 and for him when he came to Vancouver. But, like, I, I distinctly remember a playoff game where he did something dirty to Dougie Gilmore because Gilmore was shadowing, uh, was shadowing Gretzky and Gretzky couldn't do anything in that series. Yeah. And then, like, like Gretzky's on the bench. He's like, I can't get away from this guy. He's driving me crazy. Messi is like, I'll get him away from me. And he went over and he cross-checked Gilmore in the face. Oh, no, yeah, you no, told no me about penalty this. penalty yeah. whatsoever. And yeah, then yeah. Gilmore was leaking. Couldn't get back on the ice. Gretzky scored and they won one nothing. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah. my God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, But, you know, it's, some, it's some, good to enforce rules. point to that as a, as a thing of greatness. Like, he did yeah. what needed to be done to get his team to win. And it's like, 
well, I don't know. You probably shouldn't be going around cross-checking people in the face. Not a very, you know, sort of honorable thing, but yeah. a lot of people value the winning more than they value how you win too, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's a whole philosophical argument for another day that we should probably yeah. do when we're having some beers or something. <laughs> Before we get to the, the playoffs, uh, the success, I just want to mention though, that like, just to give, give people an idea that I'm not just biased, the versus X adjustment for his best all-time years He's he's the, he had the 40th best seven seasons in NHL history and the 32nd best 10 seasons. So, like, we are not talking about one of the most elite offensive players. That's regular season, of course. But, you know, that's just a you know, that is a adjustment, an era adjustment. And it's an interesting one because it tries to compare peaks across eras. And it doesn't put him as one of, the, say, the top 25 offensive players in history, which is interesting, I think. Um, yeah. And again, once again, it emphasizes that he was a very good offensive player, but he was not one of the best. And that his gaudy career numbers come from longevity, right? Yeah. They don't come from, like, dominance, yeah, which is just worth remembering. It's it's interesting, too, though, because you're sort of like, you know, it, if he's drawing the tougher defensive assignments to free up Gretzky, how valuable is that to the team? That kind of yes. thing, right? It's, it's I don't know if he was or not, but if he was, yeah. that is very valuable. Yeah, and, and as to, to me, that's the thing, right? I think this is really interesting. If he hadn't won in 94, and he had only... And, and let's, let's say he hadn't won the Cup with Edmonton in 90, when Gretzky had left, mm-hmm. and he hadn't won that Cup in 94. He just won the four Cups with Gretzky. How many people would sort of view him as like, oh, yeah, he was Gretzky's, like, you know second and like how would he be viewed it'd be very very interesting to sort of it would be very different i think but because he won two cups without gretzky he's generally regarded as like sort of the ultimate hockey winner i mean he has a trophy name after him for crying out loud so i mean yeah he he did some important things for the game and i i think too that would have been super unfair because they're like it's it's like oh you just rode gretzky's coattails be like look at some of his his numbers he was the second he just happened to play with the greatest offensive player of all time. And so, oh, you're like, well, he wasn't that good. But like, he's compared to everybody else. He's still really damn good. Yeah. He just happened to play with Gretzky and therefore had a lot of his, you know, a lot of his spotlight taken away. But like, yeah, you know, I, I think Gretzky would probably be the first to say that without Mark, they probably don't win. You know, they might win one cup, but they definitely don't win five uh, or four rather uh, when Gretzky was there. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, he's such a key component of that team. And I would say the only reason he was a second line center was because they had the yes. greatest center well, in the world in the that's you know, true. history yeah. of the league in front of him. So, and it's a little bit what's happening now. There's like a really interesting parallel between uh, Crosby and Malkin and uh, the way that Malkin is viewed as like an extraneous piece or like, yeah, yeah. yeah but if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't with Crosby, he wouldn't win. And it's like, you remember that year Crosby was hurt and Malkin won the Conn Smythe and scored some ridiculous goals. Like, well, he also won the heart when Crosby was hurt once, right? Exactly, I'm pretty sure yeah. Crosby was hurt. And it's, it's almost like he's always in Crosby's shadow, but he's yep. in, in his own right. I would say at least based on skill and maybe not on opportunity because he just doesn't, but the thing is, he like he plays on the power play of Crosby and stuff, but he's a little bit in Crosby's shadow. I, I would say he's easily a top ten player in the league. Like, it's just yeah, I don't know about now, but he was for no, a no. I, I mean, I mean at his peak, at his peak. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, easily, top. easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. I mean, so, there's that that year that he won, won the Conn Smythe. Um, 
he he scored more points in the playoffs than anyone had in, in forever. Like I mean, like it was it might have been twenty years. It was fifteen. Yeah, he, and he, he he scored some goals where I'm like that that was borderline impossible. I don't know how you did that. Yeah. Like he, I was blown away, and it's like I, I think uh, for for Messi a lot of a lot, uh, and and it's weird that like Malkin sort of broke out and then went quiet again, where everybody's like, oh yeah, Crosby's back. Forget about that guy. Um, but like I think Messi had that moment when he won the cup in ninety. Yeah. Oh wow! Like even without Gretzky, he was able to yeah. win. Like, that's something. And so, you know, maybe Malkin would have to get traded, or a Crosby retires first, and then he yeah. wins a cup, and you're like, whoa, look at that guy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Malkin you're wins. right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Conn Smythe's, uh, Messier won in uh, in '84, and I I suspect Bill at some point we will probably do like we did with the heart. We will do a Conn Smythe uh, breakdown series. Uh, and if we do, this will factor in it as a controversial one because Messier was on his own team, fourth in goals, second assists, and third in points. But because Messier is Messier and because the media love him and narratives love him, uh, he was voted the MVP. I'm sure that if you ask Gretzky whether or not he deserved it, Gretzky being Gretzky would say yes. Yes. But, like, it is... Uh, it's it's one of those where you if you didn't watch and, and in my defense I was two uh, <laughs> I didn't watch uh, it is it's kind of bizarre because uh, Curry scored six more goals than Messier did um, Gretzky had four more assists than Messier did and uh, Gretzky had nine more points than Messier and he had uh, and Curry had two more points. Uh, it's not like offensively anyway, it was clear. Now, of course, the argument would be that Messier was doing intangible things that allowed them to win. But nine more points is a lot of points over 19 games. It is. Um, so anyway, just mentioning that, that the cons might there, just like the hearts, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Um, but then, of course, he was the best forward on the Rangers when they won, uh, though Leach was obviously the best player, or at least the best uh, skater. Um, and then, of course, uh, in 90, like you said, Bill, he led uh, the Oilers to a cup without Gretzky. Uh, he tied for the lead in points with Craig Simpson, but he led the playoffs in assists. Um, and then the rest of the time on those other cups, he was a he he, he was a top three forward, like uh, by points, obviously, he was regularly playing second line minutes as far as we know. But like, um, you know, uh, the, the as we talked about in this episode and when in Glenn Anderson episode, Messier was often not playing with Gretzky because they were both playing center. Um, yeah. So of course he won, he won uh, five cups and he was really only by points. Anyway, he was only the best skater in 90. Probably. Um, I definitely give it to Messier over Craig Simpson personally. And uh, he was the best forward in 94, but the rest of the time he was, even the year he won the Consumite, he was definitely like scored a significantly less than Gretzky did, which is not a surprise to anybody. Um, and then of course he had some additional playoff success, but you know, a little bit like they went to the final in 83 um, and, and without uh, Gretzky, he went to uh, the conference finals in uh, 91 and um also, '97 Gretzky wasn't back on the range. Wasn't on the Rangers yet in '97, right? Yeah, that was '99. Was. Oh, okay. Um, so that's that's the basically some total of success. 
in the NHL. Sorry, you were going to say something? Yeah, just that that was the one that, that that sort of anecdote thing that I was telling where Messi went and cross-checked Gilmore in the face to the Gretzky. Oh, yeah. I didn't, why didn't yeah, I watch that series? That was in 97. They, they went to the conference finals that year and lost to the Flyers, I think. I do not. Um, sorry. I just remember oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Mike. out of his mind again like it was, you know, like it was 94 all over again. He was playing absolutely incredible. And they, they ended up going quite far. Uh, Gretzky, Gretzky had eight more points than Messi in those 15 games. Just... Just, just, just mentioning that. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't. Uh, I think there was a year before I started watching hockey again after my like my my like multi-year pout over like <laughs> a bad call in 1993. Um, I was a kid. What can I say? Uh, anyway, um, but of course, uh, Messier uh, did play internationally, specifically for uh, Canada. The uh, Canada Cup now World Cup. Um, it, that is not a surprise. He, we talked about this, I think, with Glenn Anderson as well. He, at least by points, it seems like he wasn't playing on the same line as uh, Gretzky was usually. Um, but that makes sense because Messi is the type of player who, if I was a coach anyway, I would definitely have him like lining up against the other team's best offensive player and not trying to, you know. Like, you yeah. want Messier to take the tough matchup, right? And you want Kretzky and Lemieux to try and beat up on the second line, if possible. Um, or third, or third, even better. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, he was only top three in points once. The rest of the time, he was top six or top nine. But, uh, you know, they won in 84, they won in 87, they won in 91, and then they didn't win in 96, as we all know. And then also, uh, Messier did uh, fe- feature at one world championship in 89 when the when Canada came in second um but for some reason his numbers are really not good for that world championship so I don't know who was on that team I didn't look it up um but there must have been a lot of star players on that team because like the fact that Messier was like you know um not uh I'm just trying to look at the well maybe he showed up late too because players are allowed to do that right they get eliminated in round two that is definitely a possibility yeah, you're, that's a really good point. Um, he only played six games, so it's probably... I think you're right about that. He showed up yeah. late. So he was probably playing higher minutes, just didn't score that much, because, like you said, Bill, he showed up late. So, I mean, he's obviously in the Hall of Fame. I think the question yeah. is more like, you know, if you were to say, like, who are the best centers of all time, where does he, he fall? And I think that really depends what do you value more peaker or career? And I mean, I think you and I have been fairly clear over the course of the show that like, we are both peak guys. Um, and so for me, like, I, I don't know. I don't have a top list of centers generally speaking, but I, he's definitely like in the guys I think of as the best centers I've ever seen or the best. When I try to think of a list in my mind, like Messier, isn't on that top top list for me yeah well i i think with messier too um you're you're gonna like you're gonna know that he was great but you're he doesn't know one particular thing i think other than that like sort of that's that uh that little dragon curl sort of wrist slap snapshot thing that he used to do where he would kick up the leg and score from the wing like that all the time on his off wing sort of like his patented move um other than that, like he didn't really have a lot of offensive flair. 
Like he, yeah. he didn't score really gorgeous goals. He was just always there popping the puck in the net. You know, he's a huge guy. Like Messi is a massive man. Um, he's like 6'5", 230 or something. Oh, he's 6'1". Like is he really? I always yeah, thought he was yeah. super tall. Um, yeah, he's big, though. Yeah, he's a big guy. Six one, oh, being over 200 at 6'1", is, is pretty yeah. big. It's pretty big, yeah. Um, anyway, but I like I just, you know, remember him going to all the tough areas, scoring the not necessarily nicest goal, but always, you know, putting the puck in the net and just, you know, winning face-offs, being, you know, tough, then, you know, and borderline dirty, and then sometimes obviously dirty, and just sort of doing all the all the sort of things most hockey players who can score goals don't want to do. He's mm-hmm. very willing to go do those things to try to help his team win. And it's it's like a begrudging respect thing for his for his play, not for all the dirty stuff he did. But like yeah. it's it's almost like if I look at um, if I look at like Jonathan Taves, right? Like he's a black hawk, I'm a Canucks fan, I hate him, but I grudgingly respect him because I know he's a damn good player and he does all the little things that everyone else sort of just you know, there's no glamour in you know, like now we actually pay attention to who wins face offs and who ties this guy up and who backs yeah, yeah. stick. But like back then it must have been pretty thankless. He just had that desire to win where it's like, yeah. you know, only, co- you know, he must have been like one of those guys where every coach is like, man, what a player. Cause you know, he's going to do the little thing that like you would, you would love for all of your players to actually do the stuff you tell them to do. And he's the only one out there competitive enough to always do it, to always back check, to always finish your check, to do all the stuff the coaches preach. He's that kind of guy. But then he also added in the dirty element and he beat my team. So I was fucking still mad about that. So <laughs> we, we we should we should have a day's uh, episode since Bill hasn't has mentioned Jonathan Tay's count on the website and it's at zero perpetually. <laughs> I know. Well, you got to bring him up because he's he, and he's again, he's one of those guys right? they call him Captain Sirius. And he's, you know, he's he's a good comparison for guys like this who have the that sort of quote unquote intangibles, things that you. Yeah. Don't come out on a score sheet, but you know the guy is. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just teasing because, like, I'm pretty sure you mentioned him last episode and possibly the episode previously. He's a good comparable for stuff like that, where you're like, you can't measure what the guy does on a score sheet. Everybody will say, oh, look at Kane's numbers. Kane was way better. But, like, you didn't watch any of those games. Like, Taves was the one that brought them to, you know, to all those cups. If they don't have Taves, there's no way to get close. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, like, I don't. I don't. Do you have? Do you ever think about like the the top, like say five centers in history in your mind of like who you would say or, um, or, like, or like in my lifetime sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't always think about it, but I think it'd be pretty easy to be, uh, you know, like Lemieux, Gretzky, uh, Crosby, Eiserman. Uh, and yeah, I'd have to think about the the next one. Uh, a little bit, probably, probably McDavid, but he's only been in the league for four years, but he's, he's already pretty much that great. I don't know. Like it's, uh, and it would depend too, right? Cause I, I would qualify centers as like just the purely best, um, like all around hockey player. Like it might actually be Crosby because he can do a little bit of everything except for fight, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he does everything. He wins faceoffs. He like, he sort of like Taves. A lot of people are like Taves does all the little stuff Crosby doesn't, and then Crosby's such a maniac and so competitive. He started to become really good at faceoffs and all those little things. I, I was uh, more bringing it up because I think that like Messier wouldn't be in that list, right? I I don't think so. But then again, I I don't remember 
as much of his career as I remember the other guys. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and it, it helped a lot that, uh, d- don't forget, I'm a Canucks fan, right? So I watch a lot of Western hockey. Yeah. So it helped me that, you know, like Gretzky played in L.A. for a bunch of years. I got to see him play there. Um, I got to see, you know, I, Lemieux was because I lived in Montreal, but I just for some reason I didn't see a lot of Messi's career until 94. And then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, like I obviously knew who he was, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say because I know he was great, but it's hard for me to quantify his greatness because I didn't see as much of his career as I, you know, if I'd been just a few years older than I probably, than I probably would have, you know, I'd have been old enough to have seen him in his heyday when, yeah, yeah. Cups and I probably, yeah, I'm, I'm sure some Oiler fans are like yelling at the radio being like, he was the best. And, you know, he did so many things and I just, yeah. sorry, we didn't see it. I'm not saying he wasn't great. I think offensively, you can definitely, I don't think anybody would say he was the best offensive. Like obviously his point totals are way up there because of his longevity. But I think in terms of like a do it all player, he's definitely, you know, one of the greats of his era. I think we can at least give him that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on, on how much you value the longevity. Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like, at least in terms of peak, I think it's pretty clear. Like his peak is not up there at some at uh, the levels of say as, as the guys you were mentioning, for example. Um, all right. So lastly, we have Cully Wilson, a guy who I really was barely aware of uh, <laughs> before I asked some people like who was a dirty player from the from the twenties. Well, he he actually he actually came up in our um, in our pandemic episode. Yeah, he did. He did. But even then, like. It was just like a name, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it, like, that's. I remember like when we were doing that episode and I was talking about that final and then, you know, poor Joel Hall takes a puck in the face and it's like, that was deliberately shot into his face by Cully Wilson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he Ooh. died. It's like, what a yeah. horrible way to go. <laughs> well, and Cully Wilson was, it turns out, he, he was probably a very dirty uh, guy. And he is, I believe, th- his claim to fame um, is that he is the one player that uh, led, I'm trying to get this right, he led uh, the NHL, I believe, uh, the PCHA and the WCHL in uh, penalty minutes in consecutive seasons or something like that. Um, was the only player to do that. Uh, it it might have been the NHA, actually. I'm trying to like see where that was in the Wikipedia article. I didn't write it down because it's penalty minutes. But he did lead all three leagues in penalty minutes, in different years and nobody else did that i believe so that is one of his big claims to fame but it turned out he had a career um one of the reasons he had a career is because he moved around he played cully wilson played in all four early major uh, pro hockey leagues uh, which is usually when we talk about these guys they play in like three of them sometimes yeah. two of them but it's usually three very rarely is it four um and uh, it's his NHL numbers are, you know, as, as often are the case with guys who played like half of their career or whatever in the NHL at the time. They're not gaudy, but it's also because like the scoring, you know, the scoring, there was that first year that was really high and then it dropped off and it was really not very high. And so like he, he played five total seasons. He played a force. Uh, he played four seasons and then he got traded and then eventually he came back and played one more. Um, but he actually, uh, when he was traded out of the NHL in, in 1923, he was actually 24th all time in goals. So it wasn't like he was 
much like Dale Hunter, it wasn't like he was just a goon. You know, yeah. he could he actually, play. yeah, he could play. Um, his 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 numbers are not going to impress anybody. He was he had eighty points and um, one hundred and thirty games, which sounds mediocre, but was actually twenty uh, fifth all time when he when he left the first time. Um, and uh, you know when he uh, you know I, I did a little era thing and uh, twenty one players played seventy two games, which is three contemporary seasons between nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty three. That was his prime in the NHL, and he was a top ten offensive player, top twelve, sorry, which very small league, right? We're talking about like three yeah. or four teams. So that doesn't, it sounds way better than it is, but he was not just a goon. He did score. Um, he scored, in fact, 30 points every 44 games. So that's, you know, he was, uh, he had some skill, basically. In addition to shooting pucks in people's faces, he had some skill. <laughs> um, the we, We've talked about adjusting for all of uh, the twenties many times it does really stupid things. Uh, the hockey reference adjustment is very flawed for the twenties. It it like adds additional assists or something, and it just gets crazy. And so he has an <laughs> absurd eighty-two game average of one hundred twenty-nine points, which is stupid and pointless. Uh, he didn't actually ever score enough to get qualified for the versus X adjustment, so that I don't have any data on that. I do know that the versus X adjustment skews towards the thirties rather than the twenties, so he probably would look a lot more human, but he just didn't score enough for them to, to calculate it. Um, he was moved around a hell of a lot. He was traded uh, at 29 for a guy named Ed Carpenter, um, and he was traded out of the NHL twice. He was also traded into the NHL. So unlike some guys, his like his travel around North American hockey leagues was not for money necessarily. It was just he actually got moved a lot. Yeah. Um, he also he played three seasons in the NHA in the uh, in the teens, um, and he was again one of the best twenty five players in the league while he was there. Which, given the number of teams, might not be that great, but he was one of the best twenty five players. Um, he had a, a twenty game average of eighteen points, which is you know sounds it's almost a point a game, but like was not awful. Um, and he was yeah. So I mean. It's it. What's interesting to me about this guy, as we'll see, is that he was always good. Yeah. Um, so then after the NHA, he went to the PCHA. He played four seasons in the PCHA before getting traded into the NHL. And uh, he once again was one of the top 25 players in the league for those first seasons. <laughs> There's a theme here. In fact, if you go by per game, he was one of the top 15 players in the league. So he was actually better in the PCHA, and that could have to do with the fact that maybe the talent was diluted a little bit. We don't know. Um, as we talked about many times, people went to the PCHA for money, but, like, it's kind of hard to blame them for going to, you know, trying to go dominate a lesser league or something. They're just trying to get paid, and they're trying to play where they lived or near where they lived instead of in the Eastern NHL. And then finally, uh, he the, second, the first time he got traded out of the NHL, he was traded to the WCHL. And there he was actually a top 20 player uh, for the three seasons he was there. And actually, if you go by per game, he was top uh, top 11. So, again, maybe the competition was watered down, especially given that this is, at this point, we are talking about a guy who is in his uh, 30s. So it's probably likely that the WCHL competition just wasn't up to snuff. Yeah. But uh, he still... The thing that's interesting to me about Cully Wilson's career, aside from the fact that he was apparently a dirty asshole, is that <laughs> at, 
he played in all four major leagues, and in all four leagues, he had a role. Despite getting traded out of them, he played multiple seasons. He, the least he played was three seasons in any of these leagues. And everywhere, he was a, at least offensively, he was a serviceable player. It's interesting. Like, because a lot of these guys, they star in one, and then they go to another one, and they're like, you know, they're the Hall of Famers star everywhere or most places. But we've definitely talked about more than one guy who was a star in like one of the Western leagues and then went to the NHL and was not much of anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy does not fit that bill, which I find interesting. Um, I mean, and, he, you know, he was a he, he was a he had good years in in uh, in all three. You know, he was a he had a, a year where you could consider him maybe a star in every in every league he played in, at least one. Um, which and made a uh, first team All Star in the PCHA. He made a second team All Star in the WCHL. He didn't make either in NHL or in HA, but still, like he had like top ten, where he's top ten in scoring. Um, again, there's often like five teams or four teams or something, so it it doesn't necessarily mean that much certainly not what it means in a 31 team league or soon to be 32 team league but um it's still i i know you bill but i look at these numbers and i was surprised at just the sheer volume of like his career you know what i mean yeah like three three seasons minimum in each of the leagues over the course of you know almost 20 years and yeah it's just it's a lot. It's a lot of hockey yeah, for the, for the era. Yeah, he bounced around all over the place and always had a key role on a team. He's just sort of like what, you know, one of those like. I, I think in that way it's very appropriate that we put him in with. I mean, obviously Messi is to a way higher degree, Mister Consistency. But like a guy like Hunter, like he's always going to have a role in the league because he does a lot of things that most players won't do and yeah. is super competitive and if doesn't like somebody he'll flip a puck in his face and try to get his team an advantage or you know send a message or whatever needs to be done um you know it's like those those kinds of players in as much as we may judge them for being dirty and sort of say like you know we really do, we really don't want you know that kind of play in the league um you know a lot of teams will say they need a guy like that or otherwise it's very difficult to win because other teams will just really push you around so you got to have a guy like that to go out and sort of do it to them or you've got a good team but you need a guy like that to get you the edge so you can beat a better team so well um, and he was very much like uh, obviously Messier won five Stanley Cups and Messier's legend is the best captain in NHL history has at least some stuff behind it but the thing about Cully Wilson is he won everywhere but in the NHL you know yeah. he won a championship in the NHA he won a championship in the PCHA and he didn't win uh won in the WCHL, but he went to a, a Stanley Cup final um, and they won uh, and they won two uh, straight WCHL championships, only one of them, because at that point, the PCHA and the WCHL had to fight each other to play the NHL. He didn't get to the, the actual Stanley Cup. But like this yeah. is a guy who you could totally see if it was like now there would be a narrative about him being a winner yeah. because he was on these good teams. Um, now he often, I, it's hard. It was really hard for me to figure out what kind of role he had because it, there was actually like reading about him. Sometimes they would say like, Oh, he, he came in, he's listed as a sub or a spare a couple times, despite yeah. having a bunch of points. Yeah. So he seemed to be like, in some ways he was like a super bench player a little bit, even though there were very few bench players back then, it does feel like sometimes he was like a, it, it's hard, it's hard to, um, it's hard to know exactly what his role is, but like the fact is he won multiple Stanley Cups 
and uh, you know he was on. Aside from the NHL, the NHL is the only pro league in which he didn't have team success, which is impressive. Yeah. So it's it, I I don't know. I have no idea whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he doesn't really have the offensive stats for that, but he certainly had a really interesting career um, and and a little unusual compared to a lot of the old guys we talk about in terms of how frequently he was in a different league. Yeah, and as well as a, a remarkable enough player that like everybody's like he's still renowned for being dirty a hundred years later. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some for your lasting impact, right? Yeah, and also just the, yeah, you could say on the one hand he got traded a lot and sounds like teams didn't want him, but maybe teams were trying to acquire him because he had this reputation. And, like, it is interesting that, like, usually, again, like we said, there are, there are a lot of the lesser players from the era, not lesser, but, like, players who weren't absolute stars from the era we've talked about, you know, they don't have great individual success in at least one league, and that league is often the NHL, but they often also don't have a lot they their team success is often confined to one or two leagues and for this guy it was in three of the four which yeah. is um impressive and you know i guess it's just that well frankly he he was on the blackhawks you know yeah. and they were not good and 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 i mean obviously he was also in the st patrick's earlier um at a time when like he just he he was unlucky i believe actually he might have even been traded to the canadians the year the patrick's won the cup if I'm not mistaken. So he was just, uh, oh no, maybe not. Uh, maybe it was a different year. But like, uh, anyway, he just, uh, he had an interesting career and he had a lot of team success for somebody who bounced around as much as he did. And I could totally see him getting like a Claude Lemieux narrative if it was yeah. now, you know? Yeah, 100%, right? Being like the guy you need. The He has that sandpaper and like he's hard to play against and he's going to score the big goal and, you know, whatever. Yeah. All that stuff. Like, he really does. It, I mean, I know we're not talking about Claude Lemieux, but it feels like the more I think about it, the more he's like a little bit like the Claude Lemieux of the of the era uh, without actually having ever seen, you know, him play, obviously, because it was the 20s and the teens. But So uh, you say yay or nay on him? Uh, I'm going to have to go with a nay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I just find it curious. I mean, he was never, if he'd, if he'd been like top 10 in all four leagues, I would yeah. be like, kind of like, mm, maybe yeah. even though top 10, top five means a lot more than top 10. Just the fact that he did it everywhere would be impressive to me. But I mean, top 25, to top 15 is, you know, in, in leagues where there's like five teams, it's, you know, you're not a star, but like yeah. still, he, he was clearly a, he was a better player than I thought he was going to be when I first started researching him so yeah me too i thought his only claim to fame was you know being in that cup final and flipping a puck off joe hall's face but. yeah yeah <laughs> um all right so to wrap up uh dale hunter yes or no uh, i'm gonna go with a no <laughs> yes me too absolute absolute no i'm a definitive no great career but not a hall of fame career yeah mark messier uh, yes, yes or no. don't even ask obviously. yeah 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 obviously yes and uh kelly wilson as you and just said that's going to be a no for me as well. Um, all right. That's it for this episode. Uh, and then we've got three more from Messier's class. Uh, McKinnis. Oh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. McKinnis, Ron Francis, and why can't I remember the other guy? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, you'll find out soon. Yeah, yeah. But they're all, all the same age. All guys who were drafted in like either like 
uh, either the Messier draft or the Ron Francis draft. Basically, it feels like they're like they're mostly. It's really funny how they sort of all. I I more than I think any other draft year that I notice everybody in 2007 was all like very much contemporary. Like they were all like the exact same era. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess that should make sense for for Hall of Fame classes, but I just feel like more than the other ones we've talked about, it just seemed like they all really lined up. Their careers are very similar in terms of time. Anyway, so uh, we hope you will tune in for those, and we will see you next time. Take care.